Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here we are at midweek and the start of a new month. Welcome to July. We have plenty to talk about as we kick off this new month, including some surprises in yesterday's USDA report. We will talk with Arlen Suderman about that with Stone X coming up a little bit later on, about uh, especially that acres number, acres numbers that came out that caught many in the trade by surprise. We'll talk about that. It's the start of USMCA today. We'll talk with Angela Hoffman, co-director of Farmers for Free Trade, about that. And, of course, uh, as farmers struggle with this down ag economy, we're going to talk about some tips, some uh, solutions in dealing with the financial issues of the day. Chris Barron with AgView Solutions will join us to talk about that on today's program. But we're going to start things off today with a look at concerns by the livestock industry over a shortfall in funding for our inspection efforts in this country to keep uh, disease and other problems out of this country. We're looking at a a potential $630 million shortfall in due due in part, at least, to the pandemic, and a lot of concerns being raised by the National Pork Producers Council and others about this, calling attention to it. Joining us now is Andrew Bailey, Science and Technology Legal Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Tell us how we got here. Why are we faced? Why are we faced with this kind of a funding shortage? Well, ordinarily, the agricultural inspectors uh, and you know the photogenic beagle brigade teams at Customs and Border Protection are funded by user fees that are paid by um, international airline passengers, maritime shipping, uh, you know, buses, cruise ships, things like that. Um, and uh, right now, there's been such a tremendous drop off in international travel and trade due to COVID-19 predominantly, um, you know, about 98% reduction in international airline travel, for example, um, or double-digit reductions in maritime seaport traffic. Um, So that drop in user fees has, um, you know, commensurately dropped the budget for carrying out those inspections. Now, the way I understand it, there is a, a reserve fund, but that's not expected to be enough to fill this gap. No, and, you know, APHIS maintains a reserve fund for downturns uh, in, in the market or temporary halts to, to uh, certain certain activities, but uh, that will even be gone completely exhausted, I think, by the end of FY20 uh, in September. Um, and then once that's gone uh, and, and the user fees aren't, aren't coming in, that's where we get that $630 million shortfall number, um, which is, you know, just it's much larger than we had anticipated and a serious threat to uh, livestock and, and all agriculture. Yeah, the the inspection system is, is run by the Customs and Border Patrol, and that is to keep animal and plant diseases out of our country. So if if this shortage is not addressed, how great would the risk become, how much greater would the risk become to disease, either plant or animal, coming into this country? Well, you know, our first line of defense against any animal or plant pest or disease are these Customs and Border Protection uh, ag inspectors. Um, And if they are, if there's no funding for them, if that's furloughed, um, that's a pretty significant risk to the trillion dollar U.S. ag sector, Um, especially when, you know, 
I think even just recently there was a there was a story about an interdiction of almost 20,000 pounds of illicit meat, uh, including pork from China that was found at the port of Long Beach. Um, and you know, China, as you know, is African swine fever is, is a major uh, uh, epidemic there. And so, uh, e- even just in pork alone, it's a, it's a fairly significant and, and monumental risk uh, to not have those inspections. As you said, this is our first line of defense, and oftentimes it goes unnoticed. Uh, we, we it's easily taken for granted uh, because no doubt there are things found and stopped from entering our country all the time. We don't hear about them, but fortunately uh, that service is there. The inspections are taking place, and like I said, easy to take that for granted. Um, exactly. I mean, for, as far as we understand, you know, there's probably an interdiction a day at some port somewhere in the U.S. of a of a major animal or, or plant pest or disease. Um, and it's one of those things where when it works, it works great and no one notices it. And, uh, but, but the potential for it to, to stop is, um, could, could be catastrophic. So basically the funding would be to keep inspectors on the job. Is that right? Uh, yes, it would be essentially temporary funding for the for a year to make up that shortfall um, until trade and travel resumes up to normal levels sometime uh, after, you know, I guess after this time next year, and the user fees can start paying the way again. So Congress, I assume, will take this up after the 4th of July break. Uh, is there any concerns, I mean, opposition to the funding, or is it is it uh, at risk here, or, or is there enough support, you think, to get this done? Well, we're hopeful that there's enough support to get it done. You know, it's one of those things where in a normal year, it's not something that really has to be funded because it pays for itself. Um, and as I said, even a little bit beyond itself to create that that budget, uh, that reserve that they had. Um, but there was tremendous support from across all sectors of agriculture, um, from livestock to um, the, the crop commodities, um, and even a lot of the trade um, and travel-related groups signed on because it's such an important thing. So uh, we're, we're very hopeful that Congress will see this. And as the markup starts, I think the first one's even next Monday, um, that they will recognize how important this is for America's farmers and, and see, work, to, uh, work to keep that funded. Yeah, so you're drawing attention to it to make sure it doesn't uh, kind of slip through the cracks then. Yes, uh, it's it's an issue that we had it's sort of in the back of our mind because NPPC in particular has been extremely active uh, making sure that CBP ag inspectors have what they need, uh, especially over the last year, year and a half, as ASF has gotten so rampant in certain parts of the world. Um, we prioritize that, as, as, I, as I mentioned, the first line of defense. Um, and so making sure that they have what they need is, has been a major priority for us, which is why uh, once we saw this number, which we knew there'd be a shortfall, but we didn't. Per- I don't think we anticipated it being this large. Um, but once we started that, I think within a week or maybe two weeks, we had gotten this coalition letter together and sent to the Hill because it's so important. It it really is, even though people may not realize it, a, a national defense issue because it it puts our food supply at risk. It does. It does. And um, you know, as I said, it's not just a livestock issue. Um, you know. Wheat, rice, uh, all sort of other sectors of citrus and uh, the the port associations, uh, all sorts of groups um, have a lot of interest in keeping this going and and keeping this functional. Um, So it was good to get that kind of support. 
it's an important issue. We wanted to bring uh, everyone's uh, attention and focus on it to something we'll be watching closely after the holiday break. Andrew, thank you for being with us. Appreciate the update. Thanks, Mike. Andrew Bailey, Science and Technology Legal Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Well, if you're on the farm, you know what it's like uh, trying to deal with this ongoing down ag economy, the financial pressures and stress that comes with it. We're going to get some tips from Chris Barron with AgView Solutions, how to deal with this down ag economy. That's next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The depressed ag economy is certainly putting financial and emotional stress on many in agriculture today. Someone working with farmers to, to deal with that is Chris Barron with AgView Solutions. Chris, good to talk with you again. Thank you for being with us here on Adams on Agriculture. You bet. Hey, it's it's good to talk to you today. How's it going with you? Good. It's been a while since we've talked, and glad to have you on. Uh, so you're you're working with farmers. You you travel around and and you you talk with them and about their situations and how best to deal with it and provide some tips or some assistance and things that they can do. What are some of the most commonly heard things when you're when you're talking to farmers what they're dealing with knowing that everyone's situation is somewhat different but there are some overall trends that all in agriculture are dealing with yeah this this year has particularly been a challenge um you know last year with a lot of weather concerns and problems and issues there um we got the classic definition of a black swan thrown at us this year um, sometimes we expect weather and those kind of things to be an issue but, you know, the ethanol industry um, got, you know, has really gotten slammed by a black swan. And so has that fed over to farming, you know, the, the livestock industry and all of us just at the farm gate and at a, at a microeconomic level have really had to deal with some, some big time challenges here. And so that's, that's really, uh, really thrown a wrench in how we need to be uh, focused on, on the, the financials on the farm and what we work with primarily and have for over 25 years is just really looking at cost of production management and uh and, and so we can manage cost of production to a degree but the the biggest issue you know has been obviously the the marketing uh opportunities have just not been there either by virtue of not not having a market in some cases and then and then obviously the the really low commodity prices and a lot of times we talk about you know, in, in things that I'll write or in working with growers, we'll kind of talk about tight margins. The problem is, is we're dealing with a lot of negative margins and, and mm-hmm. some realistic losses this year. And so it's just a matter of managing working capital, staying in connection with the lender. So a lot of the meetings we have with some of our clients, we actually ask the lender to come in and be a part of the conversation. Uh, I think it's a real important thing that we just you know, during this time that we spend a lot of time communicating with, with employees, family members, and with the lender, um, our CPA, even in, in some cases here, just with some of the unique uh, things that are going on from a tax perspective. And, and uh, while all at the same time this is all going on, we have all the normal things that we still got to pay attention to. And we work with a lot of growers on transition planning. Um, you know, that's still going on, you know, uh, older 
operators trying to figure out, you know, who do they transition over to if there's no family members there. Um, you know, a lot of collaboration opportunities. We're, we're are getting just a ton of uh, questions on collaboration and what does that look like and how can we work together maybe to, to lower the cost of some equipment and those kind of things and, and just looking at the overall business structure. And so uh, we have not uh, ever seen probably in the last 25 years of doing this uh, as much need for focusing on the microeconomics as we see right now for sure. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to, to do as good as you can in your marketing to make a profit but when you're in a situation where you have to do your very best marketing to lessen the losses uh, that's really a tough such situation to be in it sure is and, and we did a fair amount of that unfortunately at the beginning of the year when growers were trying to decide on crop rotation and we just saw evidence of that um, which you know you can never predict what what the USDA reports are going to say, but it, it, it was not super shocking to see the, the drop in corn acres um, as we worked with clients and looked at that decision-making process. There were some cases where it just did not make sense to plant more corn acres. It probably did make sense to um, make some shifts and some changes to, you know, even wheat or some other things that growers you know, needed to look at. And, and even in the Dakotas, you know, we work with a lot of growers in the Dakotas and and um, they have had years in the past where they've had to go to, to PP to, to the prevent plant option. And we've just seen a fair amount of that. In, in fact, we've even seen some of that um, more understood and more adapted to in the Midwest. And in, in other words, like Illinois and pockets where it was super wet, there's just some growers after last year that went ahead and <clears throat> excuse me went ahead and mudded things in and and did everything they could do to get the crop in and just only to find out later that it, the economics would have been better just to to pull the pin on the planter park it and take prevent plant and then just regroup for the next year and so there's a there's been a ton of learning here um, you know but one thing the the positive side of this though is is we don't become better business people when we've got six dollar corn and you know fifteen dollar soybeans or whatever we become much better business people when when we're our backs against the wall and we see that with our clients all the time right now where people are focusing on things that are just really helping us to fine tune so when hopefully uh, we get some strength in the markets and we get some opportunities eventually here um, we've learned a lot in the process we've changed some of our behaviors and we're just managing that microeconomic component uh, a little tighter, and that's really the key. We're talking with Chris Barron with AgView Solutions. So prioritizing, uh, having good inventory, a good idea. You know, you've really got to uh, know what your costs are. Uh, uh, just being more on top of all that, that seems like a big key, Chris. Yeah, it is. And then and then it comes down to some specific tools. And, and if anybody wants to look at our um uh, AgView Solutions website, we have some tools on there that people can either download and use or if, you know, they want to look at some of these opportunities, we have um, a tool on there for margin enhancement uh, for decision-making. There's a lot of people right now trying to decide, you know, on additional nitrogen on corn, for example, or some other crops or looking at fungicide applications and those kind of things. So 
it really, I think, is important to put the numbers down to make those decisions. At this time of year, our, our cash flow is tight. Uh, lines of credit are getting full, filled up. Um, we're still trying to clean out, maybe in a lot of cases, some old crop. And we're just busy, and it's summertime, and it's hot. And, you know, we have some tools on there to kind of take a little bit of the emotion out of those decisions, you know, and, and just use fungicide as an example. Um, you know, it, it's dry, but, you know, there are pockets where, you know, some of those things are going to be warranted, and, and you really got to do anything you can to take the emotion out of it because a lot of times you think, well, we shouldn't be spending money, but um, the fastest way to lower your cost of production on a per bushel basis is to increase yield or at least to protect it. And so I think we got to be really careful that we're um, not walking away from some of the products that we still maybe need to be thinking about as we, you know, um, continue to, to try to grow a good crop. On the other hand, though, I would say that on the insurance side of things, you do have to look at your crop. And if it's, if it is in question and you're getting down below that APH level of, of, you know, where you're, your risk protection is at on the insurance side of things. We have a tool in there for that calculating that as well, where you'll plug in your insurance numbers and kind of figure out, okay, at a certain point, I do need to stop spending money on this crop. You know, if you start, if your crop starts going downhill. So, so there's, there's ways to look at that. And like I said, we've got lots of specific tools that can kind of dial into those things that, that people can download. And it's pretty helpful. You mentioned this earlier. I think it's a good point. You don't become just automatically a better manager or decision maker when commodity prices are higher. You just probably do things without thinking so much about them. You just put more thought and scrutiny <laughs> into them when the prices are lower, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's 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 funny. You know, when prices are high, our our phone doesn't ring as much. But when things are under pressure, a lot of times uh, people really want to look at stuff and. And there's really some opportunities right now to capitalize on it. And, and we're still working with some operations yet that are uh, restructuring their financials, working with their lender and, and, you know, maybe taking some of these, these notes that are uh, the payments are maybe a little bit higher than, than what you can justify at this point in time. And it, it's maybe getting really hard on working capital and liquidity is tight for, for a lot of people out there. So it's the app, it's the perfect time right now while these interest rates are low if if growers haven't already done that to sit down and just totally look at what would a restructure look like on the financial side of things and get get your house in order because um, it's not going to stay like this forever. Uh, we're going to have some opportunities. We have had some insulation here uh, with CFAP and, and the prior MSP program and, and some things that have come out that has mm-hmm. really helped us on the farm, you know, but but right. we're going to need some more assistance. Chris, good to talk with you again. Uh, good thoughts, good information. Always appreciate it. Take care, and we'll talk again. You bet. Look forward to it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Chris Barron with AgView Solutions. Up next, we look at uh, some interesting numbers from USDA yesterday. Caught some people by surprise. We'll talk about it next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back on this July 1st, the start of USMCA. And we will be talking about that more in our next segment. But, wow, you think about how much 
time we we talked about USMCA and all the negotiation that went into it and the controversy around it and uh, getting rid of NAFTA, redoing a new deal. The president had talked about that even running for office and how much he did not like NAFTA. He made that very clear. Many in agriculture were nervous because uh, for many parts of agriculture, NAFTA was was pretty good. Uh, certainly there was room for improvement. Hopefully we'll get that in USMCA, but with all the attention we focused on that, it kind of got pushed in, in in the headlines to the back burner because of COVID-19 and, and China and uh, now the, the social unrest in the country and, of course, a presidential election. So USMCA not getting quite as much attention, but it's still very, very important. It brings certainty to two key force for two key markets, uh, Mexico and Canada. Hopefully we'll see some improvements in some areas like dairy and poultry. There are concerns. We've talked about those. It's off to a somewhat bumpy start uh, because of some of those concerns. And that's just a reminder. We've said this before, but just a reminder that even when you have a trade deal, it's always a work in progress. Things are going to come up. There are going to be issues. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be problems. And uh, I mean, it's good to have the basic structure and framework and a certain amount of certainty, but you only get so much certainty in trade deals. But um, overall, it uh, it's better to have them and then try to work out the problems from there. And uh, that's where we're at with USMCA get started today and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the program also wanted to mention this house democrats are proposing a plan that would reduce u.s greenhouse gas emissions calling for major increases in land retirement as well as conservation incentives on working lands to keep carbon in the soil and also in this proposal is uh, an acknowledgement and actually uh, an acceptance of biofuels and that is something that has certainly caught the biofuels industry. The plan envisions biofuels serving as kind of a bridge to the future when all vehicles they see being electric or otherwise produce no greenhouse gas emission. That plan calls for all new vehicles to be zero emissions by the year 2035. So we'll be watching that closely because the biofuels industry, seeing this green movement has been concerned whether or not uh, they would be part of it or be, give, be given credit for um, what they've already accomplished and can accomplish in the future. At least this uh, proposal would indeed include biofuels in that plan. We'll be talking more about that tomorrow. Well, yesterday, surprising uh, numbers from USDA, surprising to many, on the acreage uh, numbers. Let's talk about that now with Arlen Suderman. And I was about to say with INTLFC Stone, but Arlen, uh, you've, you've got a name change now, don't you? It's a lot easier to say Stone X, and uh, we're very proud of that. Uh, we held on to the Stone name, which goes back to our roots uh, when Saul Stone started helping uh, producers hedge their risk back in 1924. Uh, the X uh, stands for the, the global exchanges that we give our customers access to. Uh, and also, we like to think that X factor that uh, we provide to our customers. So, Chief Commodities Economist with Stone X, Arlen Suderman with us. All right, Arlen, let's look at those acres numbers yesterday. Caught a lot of people by surprise. Were you surprised at the reduction in those numbers? 
I was, especially since we didn't see a shift into soybeans of the corn acres. To see a 5 million acre drop from March 31 is historic in nature going back uh, over the modern era. We just don't see that kind of drop unless there's a major weather event. And even last year, uh, with the worst planting conditions on record, we didn't see that kind of decline. Although you could argue, I guess, the prevent plant had it not been for that, supposedly we would have been above 100 million acres. I don't buy that, but by the math, technically so, I guess. Um, but it was historic in nature. And to not see soybeans go up, and soybeans didn't even get the acres from cotton. Cotton lost a million acres. That was right in line with our expectations. But soybeans didn't get many of the acres there. And so that left soybeans vulnerable to a weather event should it happen, and it suddenly moved corn into that window of being vulnerable as well. Now, it doesn't automatically mean that uh, um, we're going to have a short crop if we get a little warm and dry in here as we are, but it does increase the risk for those funds holding the big short positions now, and, and that's why they're getting out. I've heard some say now, well, we should have seen this. I mean, the the economics being what they were should have told us this. But, I mean, we usually, we, I mean, people in your business that are watching this and predicting it and analyzing it usually don't miss it uh, this much. Why do you think it happened? That's a good question that we're all trying to figure out how we could have missed it, uh, something like this, because the surveys didn't show it up, uh, talking to our clients it didn't show up, uh, uh, we just didn't see the evidence of it, and it was below anybody's guess. And as I said, historic in nature, this just doesn't happen, let alone to not see the shift in acreage. Um, the, the rational explanation is that prices were suppressed and farmers just did not have the incentive to push to get everything planted. They were quicker to take prevent plant. We knew that would be the case in North Dakota and Northeast South Dakota. Um, we had a pretty good handle on what those acres were, and, and we were pretty close on that. Um, but we didn't expect it so much across the Midwest, especially in those states that saw rapid planting progress, which historically means an increase in corn acres, and that simply didn't happen this time. And so the only rational explanation at this point is price is low and everyone's so discouraged, they just didn't have the incentive to push to get those acres in. Now, usually I ask you, what could be coming that could spark a rally? This was an unexpected occurrence that, that has sparked an uptick in prices. Uh, will it last? I mean, uh, when you when you have that kind of a reduction in acres, obviously it that's going to impact production moving forward for the entire crop year. So does this rally last? Is, do traders look at this and, and influence them moving forward? Well, first of all, we had the rally we did and are continuing to have for one primary reason. That's that the funds held near record short positions coming into this week. And there's over a, a billion and a quarter uh, bushels that they were short, and that leaves them nervous as prices start going higher and they start to become losing positions. Um, so this is a short covering rally. Remember last year when we had the planting scare, uh, they covered their shorts, gave us a, a nice big rally, but they never did go long. They never bought into it. And I don't expect them to this year either unless we have something else happen to really tighten our stocks. Um, 
and, and it's probably going to have to take a combination of two factors. One would be a significant weather event, and that possibility looks more real today than it did a week ago or even three or four days ago. And the other is China come in unexpectedly to buy corn and or its products. The latter hasn't happened. We keep hearing chatter of it in China, talking to our customers in China, but we've been hearing that chatter for two years. So is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? We don't know. Um, but the possibility is those two things could happen together, particularly has the funds very nervous. They're going to cover their shorts likely, but to go long, they probably have to see evidence that one or both of those factors are following through and going to really to dramatically tighten stocks. Right now, we're looking at projected ending stocks around $2.8 billion instead of 3.3. Now, we'll have to see if we can get it down from that. Anything else in yesterday's numbers that caught your attention? Well, we certainly um, saw the shift to Durham because Durham has been very profitable and uh, the market worked and it increased that incentive for that. And uh, we had the closest estimate there and, and one of the closest estimates to the spring wheat acreage and the impact there. Um, but I think the the fact that soybean acres didn't increase, leaving us vulnerable there. We still have a higher stocks projection than USDA. We think they're over-projecting uh, Chinese consumption right now. Um, but here again, that's another wild card that if China would con- come in and buy more soybeans than just needed to get them to the Brazilian harvest, um, then that, particularly if it's combined with a weather um, scare, could certainly tighten up the soybean market as well. Well, that's why we pay attention to these reports, right? You never know. These June reports are known for their surprises that oftentimes are changes in direction for the markets. And you see this as being one of them? Well, at this point, it certainly has that appearance. And and let's keep Mm -hmm. in mind that... uh, the markets are dominated in this day by algorithmic computers that trade the majority of, of the contracts that are traded. They're trading momentum until something stops them. In other words, they get so out of whack with the fundamentals, um, either to the upside or the downside. Right. So when the momentum turns, they're going to trade that as long as they can. Yeah, that's a good reminder, something to really keep in mind. Arlen, thank you very much. Have a great 4th of July weekend, and we will talk again soon. And, uh, wow, always something happening to, to impact these markets. And we'll be ta- I think we'll be focusing more on the production now as we get into July and what the weather's like. We'll be talking again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stone X. And indeed, uh, interesting numbers out yesterday, some real surprises. Well, the start of USMCA today, we'll talk with the co-director of Farmers for Free Trade next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, today's the start of USMCA. We're joined now by the co-director of Farmers for Free Trade, Angela Hoffman. Angela, thanks for joining us. I mentioned this earlier that uh, because of all the other things going on in the news and in the world today and throughout our country, uh, 
USMCA not getting quite as much attention as it would have otherwise, but it's still very important and a big step. Well, it's extremely important and so pleased today that we are finally seeing the implementation date. This is this is a great accomplishment and something that has been looking to bring long-term stability to the North American market. So we're very excited about this news. I've mentioned that even when you have a trade deal, they are always a work in progress. We have seen some bumps and some concerns raised even as we head into this date of implementation. So there there are still issues to be worked on and resolved even as the deal starts. Well, there are issues to be resolved in any trade agreement, but what we have here is a framework now to resolve those issues. And again, remember, we had a lot of uncertainty as we are looking in the negotiation period, but, it, but a trade agreement is a, it's a living agreement. It's meant to bring the trade partner together to resolve these issues, sort through these issues, and then get on with it and back to business. So, again, this provides a framework where we can continue to, one, build on the great access we have for dairy into Canada. We have some very important measures vis-a-vis our our wheat industry and grading, and those are issues that are resolved. So let's keep in mind, we're definitely a strong step forward in the implementation date. We're going to continue to sort through those additional opportunities for girls in North America together. You had an event yesterday that had some members of Congress uh, participating, talking about uh, this trade deal. Uh, What were some of the highlights of that as far as what came out of it, what you heard from members of Congress? So we had an event yesterday that brought together producers, um, agribusiness, and then we had four members of Congress, including Senator Ernst from Iowa, um, Donald McCollin Peterson, Chairman of the House Ag Committee, Ron Kine from Wisconsin, and uh, Congressman Costa from California. I think what that showed is that north, south, east, and west, literally, Democrat, Republican, House, and Senate, what happened in this agreement is that producers across commodities and agribusiness came together to urge their members of Congress to pass this measure because they told the story from their state and local perspective that this was an agreement that could be done in a bipartisan basis, and it passed with the strongest majority we've ever had in any trade vote in both the House and the Senate. So um, I think the moral of the story was we can get things done. We put politics aside. We bring great folks in agriculture together, and we can influence policy, and we can make things actually happen that are good for our industry. Yeah, sometimes we wonder if we can get that bipartisan effort and actually get things done anymore, but this is an example of it of it happening, even though at times we wondered uh, through the process, but uh, uh, it got here. And now, uh, hopefully the improvements that you talked about in areas like dairy, but for others, just the certainty of uh, keeping the markets that they've that have been well established in both Mexico and Canada for many of our commodities. Absolutely. I mean, keep in mind again, Canada and Mexico are top trading partners. They have been for decades since the original NAFTA was signed. And yes, it needed to be modernized. You know, there are things like e-commerce that did not exist at the time of NAFTA, so it makes sense to modernize. I think the one other area that we saw with yesterday's discussion, though, is this is an opportunity to lean in even further with more trade agreements. Could we get back into the TPP? That certainly was a topic that came up, further expanding our access into Asia. Can we double down on the trade agreements with the UK? Can we ramp up the next steps in Japan? So I think we're going to see some momentum um, in the near term with you know, ag-, ag groups coming together to continue to keep open those markets. Keeping in mind, we are a next net exporter 
of agriculture products. So we need those markets. We need those consumers. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said earlier because it's something I agree with and I, I mention a lot is and that just because you have a trade deal doesn't mean there won't be disputes and problems. And I, I know people are critical of, of trade deals and some don't like them, but it just seems easier to resolve disputes if you have a framework in place, some kind of a, a dispute uh, resolution process. Now, everyone doesn't always like how that process works or sometimes the outcome, but it, it's, it sure seems like it's easier to address those issues if you have something in place already rather than if you don't. Absolutely. I mean, otherwise, it's, it's basically the Wild West. Everybody makes up their rules, and we find that they'll use tools that can often be you know, detrimental. We're seeing a lot of that with the current trade war with tariffs flying back and forth without a good resolution in terms of what we're trying to solve and how we're trying to solve it. So this, this again, this is a mechanism that one brings certainty. We know that we have a trade relationship that's strong with North America, which actually allows us to be a stronger trading block as North America, which helps us actually resolve some of our disputes with China, working together as a block. Well, I think in a lot of areas we're being reminded of that uh, today, but uh, this is another example of too often we take for granted what we have, and that's been a good trading re- relationship with Mexico and Canada, and maintaining that is very, very important. And uh, like I say, sometimes we take it for granted and, and don't give it as much attention, but it's a good reminder for us uh, of what we have, then you try to build on that to make it even better, and hopefully that's what USMCA will do. Absolutely. And just keep in mind, we are a highly integrated North American market. We make each other better working together. So, again, we are thrilled that today is implementation day. It's been a long process between negotiation and passage, but this agreement is going into force, and it, it is a good day and something we should all celebrate. All right, Angela, thank you for being with us. Good to talk to you again. Great to talk to you as well. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Angela Hoffman, co-director of Farmers for Free Trade on this, uh, the startup, the implementation of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. So we'll be uh, watching it closely. Like I said, already there there's some bumps in the road, some concerns that have to be worked out, but hopefully this deal will help get those resolved. We'll be watching it closely, especially from a dairy perspective. How much will the improvements be? Uh, that's one of the key areas for agriculture in this deal. Well, coming up on the program tomorrow, we are going to get an update on some of the legislative uh, proposals in Congress heading into the holiday break, and then what will the priorities be as they come back from the 4th of July break, and also more reaction to yesterday's USDA reports. Hope you'll join us. Stay safe, everyone. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.